Author Media presents Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. I'm your host, the professor of book marketing, Thomas Umstead Jr., and today we're going to talk about optimizing your Amazon page to maximize sales. The better your Amazon page is, the more effective all of your marketing efforts will be. And put another way, the worse your Amazon page is, it, uh, the worse your sales are. In fact, it can torpedo all of your other efforts. Now, while this is the longest running book marketing show, we are no longer the podcast with the most episodes because while Jim and I were taking break breaks, our guest today was consistently posting new episodes every week for over 300 weeks. If this was a race, he would be the tortoise that won it through consistent effort. He's also a USA Today bestselling author with over 100,000 books sold and the founder of the Amazon Ad School and the Best Page Forward. I'm excited to welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast, Brian Cohen. Thank you for having me, Thomas. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been too long since you've been on uh, the podcast. I'm glad you're you're back. And a really important topic. In fact, I see you as one of the foremost experts uh, in the world on Amazon pages and, and getting them optimized. You've done, what is it, thousands of Amazon pages at this point that you've helped optimize? Yeah, over 2,500 through Best Page Forward. So not your first rodeo. You've done this no. quite a bit. In fact, more than uh, most big traditional publishers, right? because those big traditional publishers will have a bunch of different teams or a bunch of different people, or it's a rotating door. So in terms of like the individuals at a major publishing house, you've probably done more uh, than many of those individuals. But I should ask, you know, what is an Amazon book page? Because some people are probably scratching their heads about this term. And is it still important in 2020? I love the 2020 uh, bit on that question. So it's a new decade, so shiny and new. It is. So an Amazon sales page is the page where book browsers who have not yet purchased your book will see the information about it. They'll see the cover. They'll see the title. They'll see the book description. They'll see how many customer reviews you have. And uh, a lot of us shop on Amazon. We know there are Amazon sales pages for socks and for uh, protein bars. And there are also sales pages for your books. Now, in my opinion, my my humble opinion, um, the Amazon sales page actually matters more so now than ever because, heck, every year there's more and more books out there, more and more books in your genre. And so one of the ways that you have to try to stand out is by having your Amazon sales page optimized. Because it's really easy to just copy and paste some text and you know, assume that it's good. Like, oh, that, that's fine. Uh, but some minor changes can really make a difference. And I'm curious how you got into this. You know, how did you get started with Amazon book page optimization? You know, kind of walk me through that process, because I know you weren't an expert early in your career. Yeah, well, I, got, I put on the self-publishing sorting hat, and uh, it placed me in-house Amazon page. Um, <laughs> so I, I was a freelance writer for a long time, uh, a freelance writer since about 2008, 2009, and I was doing all sorts of stuff. I, I was um, doing ghostwriting for CEOs uh, from 
Forbes, uh, for articles in Forbes and, 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 uh, fast company and, and places like that. I was doing all sorts of how to articles, uh, on like ehow.com, like all sorts of random stuff. And, I was also, I had started co-hosting the Selmore Book Show in 2014, and I was really into authors, and I was in a mastermind with several other people, uh, someone who did not stand the test of time in indie publishing, uh, podcasting Simon Whistler uh, of the Rocking Self-Publishing Podcast. I remember that podcast. You're taking me back to the olden days. Yeah. He's, he's a big YouTube star now. But um, so Simon said, uh, why don't you try to combine the freelance you're doing with your author work? And I thought, oh, well, that's a really good idea and, and thought, well, I'll just help authors optimize their book descriptions. And I, I put up the sales page in a week, announced it on the show and had 100 orders in the first 30 days. <laughs> I was also pricing it much lower. That's right. Well, there, and there's a lot of demand because as uh, James Rubart uh, often says, it's hard to read the label when you're standing inside of the bottle. And so those two or three paragraphs about your book, which, you know, there's a lot more to an Amazon page than just the text about it. But the, you know, that's a big part of it. You know, that's the hardest writing you may ever do in your entire life, right? Like those blur, those three paragraphs may be harder than writing uh, the entire book uh, for some authors. And so let's let's talk about that. Let's break down the different elements of an Amazon page. So I've got up the Amazon page for the book, How to Write a Sizzling Synopsis by Brian Cohen, because I figured we'll put you on the spotlight here. Um, so the first thing that my eye is drawn to when I go to an Amazon page is the book cover. So, so talk about a little bit about the book cover. How do you design a good book cover to work on Amazon? Well, I think it starts with really understanding and researching your genre. Uh, this is uh, Sizzling Synopsis is a nonfiction book for authors, um, and a lot of these nonfiction books have large title, an object kind of in the bottom third. This is kind of a custom-made graphic with a book with a little golden graph in the middle, and then the author name. Sometimes they'll have it at the top, sometimes at the bottom. In mine, they have it in the bottom, and... This is essentially when you look at 10 to 20 to 30 book covers in your genre, you start to see some patterns. And it's your goal to have a book uh, cover that fits those patterns because readers, they may say they want something completely unique and interesting and dynamic, but in reality... Their brain is responding to cues of familiarity. And so your goal, whether you write epic fantasy or active romance, you want to evoke the style of your subgenre. And so that's going to start with research. And to be honest, your cover designer that you find randomly might not do this research. You might actually have to do it for them. And if you are doing that research, or I'll just recommend this for everyone. We've put together a book design uh, template for you to put together a design brief to communicate with your designer. So don't assume they're doing the research. And even if they are, if you give them a good design brief, they'll have a good um, you know, starting point. And that's free. You can get that at authormedia.com. Uh, 
but I, I completely agree. And I remember in my early days in publishing, a lot of traditional publishers were bemoaning the fact that white covers no longer worked. Because at the time, we're talking the late 90s, a fully white book, white on the front, white on the back with fish, different visual elements, would pop off the shelf in a really striking way. And yet, when you put a white-covered book on an Amazon page, the white of the white cover disappears into the page. And it looks like the book is kind of, or the text is kind of floating on the page, and it completely breaks. And that uh, approach has almost completely gone away of having a white book. And so you can have any color you want in the world, except for white as the background of your book. Uh, I had that with my first book as well. So the next thing my eye is drawn to is the title. Now, I think it's very important, uh, or I want to talk a little bit about why you also have the subtitle in your title. But you have How to Write a Sizzling Synopsis, colon, a step-by-step system for enticing new readers, selling more fiction, and making your books sound good. So what's the strategy with a good title on an Amazon page? Well, particularly with nonfiction, you do want to kind of stoke that uh, keyword SEO a little bit, even if it's not for the purposes of actually getting Google traffic, which is what the SEO would do, because uh, a, a lot of aspects of an Amazon page actually aren't uh, SEO searchable. <laughs> uh, like you put a weird character name in your book description and you search that weird character name, it will not show up, uh, which is interesting how 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 these pages are all indexed at Amazon's search engine um but it's it's one of the formulas for a nonfiction description is kind of slightly more artistic title followed by very info packed subtitle because that gets readers potential readers to know oh yes this is a book that is going to solve my problem. And I think that's really key what you just said, those last words. So it will really solve my problem. So what you do with that subtitle is you make the promise, the specific promise of how your life will be better if they buy this book. And the clearer that promise is and the more resonant it is for the specific person that you're talking to, the more likely they are uh, to buy the book. Now, sometimes people can get that with the title. Right. You know, the five love languages, you know, the that and it gets your attention. But then the subtitle is like, you know, have a better relationship. And you're like, oh, I want a better relationship. And so it gets you. But other books are able to just with the title. But somewhere in nonfiction, you're not really selling a book with nonfiction. You're selling a transformed life somehow. And so you got to communicate that as quickly and as early as possible, how someone's life will be better with the book. Now, it's a little bit different with fiction. Um, what, what are some of your strategies with a fiction title? With the fiction title, I still do like a subtitle that says what the genre is, especially if it's a book one. I don't, I don't mind. Like, I'm not talking about like, you see these subtitles, a thrilling new adventure with keyword A, keyword B, keyword C. I, I more mean like a young adult superhero novel or a detective thriller. I have no problem with that being a subtitle because if their new reader isn't going to know necessarily what this book is otherwise, there's nothing wrong with telling them right there at the top. So you're, you're placing it inside of, and when you're saying genre, you're not meaning like mystery thriller or suspense. You're talking about like very specific sub-sub-genre. 
correct, especially because if you're trying to appeal to those subgenre readers, a female, an amateur female sleuth novel, it's kind of nice for uh, search ability, uh, but it is also nice for readers just immediately getting a feel for what it is. Because let's face it, sometimes we get a little too creative with our titles. And, and I completely agree. Now, which elements uh, does the Amazon search engine look at? I know it looks at the title of the page. So the title, it factors in those seven keywords, the seven keyword phrases that you choose um, for uh, your, essentially, your, your uh, searching capabilities, uh, your metadata. And that's about it. It does not... It, it, it would factor in your author name as well, but that the things in your actual description can be found on Google, can't be found on Amazon. That's right. Although sometimes Amazon does index uh, reader reviews. So while they won't index your description, that beautiful blurb that you crafted, uh, somebody puts a word in their review, it might come up, but also it might not. So reviews I find are kind of hit and miss, and it really depends on how many reviews you have and how common that phrase is. But I'll often be doing research, especially for really technical product, and I'll find that the somebody's review talks about the technical thing. Or Q&A, actually, I found also. Uh, although books don't tend to have much q and I've found. Very few authors. Is that even supported, the questions and answers? I mean, I've seen people do it. Um, uh, I I don't really know. I, I used to see it more, so maybe it's not. It's been de-emphasized. Yeah. Readers are more likely, or customers, I should say, are more likely to ask a question through the Amazon Q&A system on a higher consideration purchase. We're going to get into a little marketing theory. So if you're about to buy a $1,500 computer, you're really considering that purchase a lot. And you're asking a lot of questions and doing a lot of research. When you're buying a $299 ebook, you're not. You're making that decision really fast, right? You may have, you know, by the time you've looked at the cover in the title, you've already made the decision. Uh, or maybe not, and you're doing a little bit more research, but you're not going to sit there and really study the page. And this is really important to understand when you're crafting this page that the people coming to the page are not going to pay nearly as much attention to it as you would like them to, right? You are going to pay more attention to this page than any other human being on the face of the planet. Uh, and so you have to write it in such a way where it pops. Uh, now, one of the things that does pop off the page is reviews. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about reviews, because I'm curious what your strategy is when it comes to reviews. Um, more is always better is kind of one <laughs> strategy. Um, interesting stuff with reviews is Amazon recently just merged together international reviews, um, leaving them as ratings on your on your U.S. pages. I Sizzling Synopsis used to have 255 uh Reviews and now it has 302 ratings, which is very interesting. It's only fair because the rest of the world has been ha or has had Amazon.com reviews forced on them. <laughs> so if you load up a book on Amazon.co.uk, uh, you'll see the U.S. rate reviews right there on the page. And I imagine people in other countries find that a little uh, irritating, uh, especially if they don't get to vote back, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. But. Uh, more is always better. I think 
you're looking to that next milestone at all times. If you have five, you want to get to 10. If you have 10, you want to get to 20 or 25 and so on and so forth. I was excited when I went from 250 to 300 because that was my next milestone. But really, it comes down to reviews in a way are more important than sales. So if you have to sacrifice some early sales by giving out more review copies, you do it because if you can sacrifice 20 sales here and there to get 10 new reviews, but that social proof leads to you getting 300 more sales in the future, that's a pretty good deal. And your early reviews are really important. I found that those first reviews set the tone for all of the future reviews. It's kind of like in a brainstorming session, the first person to give their idea directs all the rest of the ideas, which is why the academic literature is is down on brainstorming sessions because they tend to not be very productive. (laughs) They tend to favor the loudest, earliest person's ideas and not necessarily the best ideas. Um, So any quick tips on getting more reviews other than kind of giving out lots of review copies early? Um, I mean, the the good thing about that strategy is as you build your email list and if you have it set up in a way, and I know you guys have done episodes on this. With you, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I, believe, I believe that is the case. I, that, that When I said that, I was like, was that episode with me? Um, <laughs> but if you do have things set up in such a way that new people who come into your universe are then finding out about the potential of getting free review copies, then you should be getting some more over time. That means you do need some ways to be building your email list at all times. But there are uh, a lot of really nice uh, sites that have come up, uh, Hidden Gems, uh, Booksprout.co, Story Origin. Now it's becoming more and more commonplace to actually reach out to some of these sites and get some of your advanced review copies distributed, but in a free way, because I believe all of those, they have free options, but there are some paid options. A free way, that, and this is not necessarily something a lot of people do, if you connect with an author about on the same level as you or a little higher than you, you can always ask, hey, can I share an ARC for an advanced review copy for my book with your ARC team? And a lot of people will say yes, because they're like, oh my gosh, my people have been clamoring for something because I'm still working on the next book, sure. Yeah, I love that idea of teaming up with authors because your readers want more uh, content from you than you can provide. And as an author, you have a critical eye on the kind of stuff that you like and the kind of people who like the sorts of writing that you write are likely going to like the kind of writing that you read. And so it's a great way to offer a lot of value. It's also a great way to make a little bit of extra money because you can make affiliate money (laughs) recommending somebody else's book or even just getting uh, some referrals. Uh, But one thing to keep in mind, you're offering it to their ARC team, not that author friend of yours. Uh, Amazon's guidelines prohibit you from reviewing a competing product. And as an author, you're a competitor. So that, that review will get pulled and you might get thrown into Amazon purgatory. You do not want to go into Amazon purgatory. As an author, Amazon has a lot of power over you to make your life miserable. 
so, all right. So we talked about the reviews. More is better. And I want to point out something that Brian didn't talk much about. He didn't talk as much about the number of stars because ultimately more reviews is better than high reviews. It's better to have, you know, 50 reviews with a four and a half star rating than it is to have five reviews with a five star rating or even 10 reviews with a five star rating. You want more and you want mixed reviews. So uh, we uh, see the pricing. I'll, I'll skip over that. Just have competitive competing competitive pricing uh, in your genre. So don't be priced too outside of the norm, either high or low. But if you're going to be outside of the norm, it's better to be lower than higher. If you're going to be more expensive, you have to have a reason uh, for being way more expensive. If you're the only person with a $10 ebook in your space and everybody else is at $299, uh, it's going to be really hard to sell that ebook. It's going to feel very expensive uh, to the other readers. But uh, let's talk about the blurb. So we, we're scrolling down the page a little bit, and we've seen the title, we've seen the number of views, we saw the rating, and now there's this big block of text. Uh, is this still important, this block of text? It is. Um, there There have been studies done, really interesting stuff, actually, with... Um, uh, like heat map technology, where they're seeing where people are clicking on certain pages. And you actually see very little attention paid to the title because usually people have seen or the uh, cover because people have seen the cover. They, they've looked at the cover. Uh, they've gotten to the page on the page before. So they, they had to already look at the cover to get to the page in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. So. As a result, they're not really caring as much um, about that, but they they will look at the title, examine that pretty closely. They'll look at the reviews, and you know if they're if they've decided by then, like they're not looking at anything else, right? They've they've decided they're locked in. This is what we're doing here. But if they're still on the page, the very next thing they look at. Possibly the last thing they look at before they make their purchasing decision is the book description. So, you know, as of very recently, you definitely want to have that book description optimized. And what do you want to have it optimized for? You want to have it optimized to bring out the best parts of that book, make it very clear what this book is what kind of character journey your protagonist in that book is going on, all of that wonderful stuff, you want that to be front and center in your book description. And you can put some light HTML in this book description. It's not just a wall of text. And this is where a little bit of web design experience or hiring a professional (laughs) to do it for you uh, can be really helpful. Because like I I noticed on this one, on the Kindle at least, you have a bulleted list, right? In this book, you'll discover, and then you've got a series of bullets. That's a really strong strategy for a nonfiction uh, book, or even just emphasizing a few words at the beginning of a sentence in the second uh, paragraph. There's a lot... um, uh, that you can do with the little bit of HTML that you can add. You can't put a whole web page here, right? There's no sidebar, and I don't think you can do external links, uh, but you can uh, format the text to make it more readable. Definitely. All right, so the next thing, and a lot of people are like, okay, now we're done. It's like, no, there's some really important elements still left. And the, uh, the next major element on the page is also bots. Uh, or It's a row of books called Customers Who Bought This Item Also Bought, and then it's got a series of other books. Uh, I guess the best way I want to phrase this question is I know some of what you're going to talk about. What are some mistakes that people make when it comes to poisoning their also bought list? Uh, well, I think when you run 
promotions, uh, 99 cent deal kind of sites, you want to be very careful with who you use. You want to be very careful with the, the kind of things that you are, um, the, the, the kind of sites that you're using to promote. I have had situations where I have actually polluted my own also bots by doing a discount and running uh, particularly a nonfiction um, a, a nonfiction deal because a lot of these things going into these nonfiction deal sites, they're paleo cookbooks and uh, they're they're not necessarily books for writers. So I, I had a book that was doing fairly well, had a big like book bub, all this stuff, and then all of my also bots became paleo books. So slowly but surely I had to build that up. So it doesn't mean you shouldn't do a 99 cent deal site ever. For for genre fiction, they tend to be a little better. It's it's a matter of knowing your books, knowing the kind of books that are like yours, and then, hey, you can run Amazon ads to those sites, you can uh, uh, to those pages. You could run Amazon ads or Facebook ads to uh, books and targets that would be a lot more like the books that you are hoping to have in your also bots. Because this is reciprocal, or it can be, when uh, you are uh, somebody else's book is in your customer's also bought list, your book might be on their customer's also bought list. And that's that's where this, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, there, Amazon's advertising somebody else's book here, and that's only going to hurt me. And it's like, well, not necessarily. And people don't just buy uh, one book at a time. And the using the ads, right, if, if you really want to get featured, your biggest competitor, or maybe your second biggest competitor <laughs> as a, maybe a better strategy earlier on. Uh, you really target their book, and you're you're not in that first row of customers also bought, but you're in the second row of sponsored products related to this item. And if enough people find your cover and your title appealing, you may earn your way into the customers also bought, and then theirs will be in yours, and it will help kind of give you that credibility. So it's like, oh, I haven't heard of you, but I've heard of these three other authors that are in your customers also bought. So if the people trusted them, you get get uh, potentially some impugned trust that way. Ooh, impugned trust is the best kind. <laughs> so it's our SAT word uh, for the episode. Uh, so customers also bought another way that uh, this can get polluted is when people have um, non-specific brands. So this is where having a good brand can really help you. And so let's say, you know, and Brian, you have this challenge and Joanna Penn has as well. You both write fiction, but you also write craft books for your you know, audience where the fiction kind of gives you credibility for the craft books. But your fiction readers don't want to read your nonfiction book on writing a sizzling synopsis. Right. It's like that won't be a sizzling book uh, for them. And I know uh, what some authors do when they have kind of two different audiences that they write for is that they will segment their email list. And they'll wait to send an email out to their whole list, or maybe they won't send it out at all to their craft list. They'll just send it to their fiction readers, uh, especially at the beginning, so that they're also bots or other fiction books. Because if this book, you know, that you're like, oh, this book looks really interesting, and then all the books related to it are all writing-related books, you're like, oh, is this like a textbook sample? And suddenly your opinion as a reader of that book goes down. Yes. No, I've seen that. I've definitely seen that, and I always try to make sure to keep church and state fiction and nonfiction <laughs> as separate as possible. Joanna does that well with her uh, pen name, JF Pen, for her fiction. I will admit to not having done as good a job with that, but I know that 
while I don't know what my next fiction book will be, I do know that it will it will either be Brian D. Cohen or some other uh, permutation of my name because I realize that it's just it's just not going to work. The also bots are too important. Yeah, so keep that in mind. A lot of you are thinking like, oh, I'll write this kind of fiction and this other kind of fiction. I'll also write children's books. The more types of writing you do, the harder and more expensive it makes your marketing. And if you think of the best-selling authors, the folks who are the most successful at changing the world and who are making the most money, almost all of them write just one kind of book. And there's a reason for that because um, the person who digs one well that's 100 feet deep is going to get a lot more water than the person who's digging two wells that are 50 feet deep. Uh, And that person will get more water than the person digging 100 wells that are all one foot deep and they're all spending the same amount of effort. (laughs) So, And I'm I'm preaching to myself here. Although I will say I've done a lot to focus. uh, 2019 was a year of pruning and I cut websites, I cut activities and um, novel marketing is now running through the authormedia.com website. So I'm making progress. I'm actually practicing what I preach uh, here uh, a little bit. But um, so what was, uh, you know, what do you wish you had known, Brian, when you had first got started selling as an indie author? What were kind of some of the things that you had to learn the hard way? Let, let's save some pain for some listeners here before we end. <laughs> well, I think one of the points you bring up of, of just being more focused. I, I I honestly think, and you and I are both uh, good friends of Chris Fox. I mean, almost every new writer I run into, I say, go read the book, Write to Market, and do the exercises. Like, not just read this book. Read this book, do the exercises, because um, when you're first starting out, like, your book is likely going to find crickets unless there are readers who are actually interested in it. And Chris's book is the best way to determine whether or not there will be readers for it. And we also have a, an episode where we interviewed Chris Fox about that very book on how to write to market. And I will put a link uh, in the show notes because I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's especially when you're just getting started, uh, really key to be writing books for people who already want to read the kind of books that you're writing. If you're trying to convince people to not just read your book, but to start reading a kind of book they don't normally write, that is so difficult as to be impossible. Yeah. I'll give one more point here. Um, It's so flashy now to to run ads, and there's different kinds of ads. There's Facebook ads, BookBub ads, Amazon ads, and a lot of people think, oh, well, I won't have to market if I just throw money at these ads. But you, you, you kind of have to figure out if your book is a good candidate for the ads. Um, and there are ways to do that and ways to figure that out. But if you go in blindly without having figured out, uh, can my book actually return a profit if I run ads to it? Uh, you, you may find that you definitely will not get a profit uh, due to your blind stumbling. That's right. And you have some resources to help uh, do ads well. Tell us a little bit about that. I do. So I am running a free challenge. Uh, It's basically a free course where everybody does the fun work all at the same time for some community-based awesomeness there. Um, 
as a, a fire truck goes by my house. Um, but uh, you can join the five-day Amazon ad profit challenge, where our goal is to create one profitable Amazon ad campaign in one week's time. And that is at bestpageforward.net forward slash challenge. The next challenge begins on January 20th. All right, and we will have a link to that in the show notes uh, so you can check uh, that out if you want to learn more about Amazon ads. And then we'll also have a link to Best Page Forward, which is uh, Brian's uh, blurb service if you want somebody to help rewrite the description of your book and his podcast, uh, the popular podcast, Sell More Book Show, uh, and uh, all of the other places that you can find uh, Brian online. Uh, Brian, what are uh, any? do you have any final tips or encouragement before we go? I think that you need to avoid being in the vacuum, the writing vacuum where maybe you don't share your writing with anybody until it's already published, the marketing background where you don't know if your books can even sell, the the Amazon sales page vacuum where you don't look at any other sales pages to see what works for you and your genre. Avoid being in the vacuum, connect with other people, use research, look, spend time on it, and and just try to avoid being in that situation where you're the only one who has looked to see what might work for your book. Take the time there to get out of the vacuum. That's really good. But I want to hear what you have to say to somebody who's like, yeah, but what if I read other people's books and my book starts to sound like theirs? I don't want to be unduly influenced. I want my artistic uh, voice to be uninhibited by other people's influences. What would you say to somebody who's, who responds with that? Uh, read the book, Steal Like an Artist? <laughs> no. Um, I would say that it's unlikely to happen because you are unique, you are different, and even if you have ideas influenced by someone else's, they'll go through your vision, they'll be your specific version of that, and I think that is going to make all the difference. And you have to have the clarity of voice that comes having worked through that. You, it's, you, you can't be alone in a room guessing at what people want. You have to kind of work through the mountain, climb the mountain of what is working already. And it's once you get to the other side of the mountain where you really find where your voice most resonates with your audience. And you can't just shout into the wilderness and hope people uh, will come and find you. And a lot of authors are shouting into the wilderness right now, and they're frustrated that no one is coming to find them. It's just like, you've got you got to take that effort. you got to make that effort to connect with other writers, uh, can, read other books that are similar to yours, and learn what's working and what's not about your own writing. And sometimes that means getting community, finding mentors, people to encourage you. And we've been talking a lot about mentors recently on the podcast, so I'm not the only one who's saying it. <laughs> uh, uh, it's true. I'm, I'm saying it too. All right. Our episode today is brought to you by uh, my new course, The Art of Persuasion. Uh, persuasion is one of the most important things we do as authors. Uh, and it's not only a part of the selling process for fiction books, but it's also the heart of writing good nonfiction. And yet persuasion is hard to do and easy to fail at. And so in this video course, I break down the science behind how to help your readers truly change their minds for good. And this is, I will say, one of my most popular and enduring talks. I've been giving this talk uh, to audiences for over 10 years. This is a, a really like 
time-tested, uh, what I'm teaching is very time-testing. It's great for bloggers who are wanting to make a difference in the world, nonfiction writers wanting to change minds, and authors of all kinds trying to persuade people uh, to buy their book. And the course is normally $49, but during our patron join patron pledge, all patrons will be getting it for free if you uh, be- become a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast before the end of February. So thank you so much for those of you who have already been uh, patrons. And speaking of patrons... Our featured patron today is Carrie Dawes, author of The Embers series. A hurricane and a series of unexplained fires hits too close to home. What will it cost Inspector Cassandra McCarthy to protect the citizens of Silver Heights? And thank you to Carrie Dawes for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. If you would like to become a patron, you can find out how at novelmarketing.com. Patrons help support the show and as a thank you uh, certain patrons get featured uh, live on the air other patrons get other benefits including having your book uh, featured on the website authormedia.com discounts on our courses and so much more Uh, if you can't afford to become a patron don't worry you can still help the show Uh, just leave a review uh, on apple podcasts or on podchaser.com all right Uh, brian thank you so much uh, for joining us on the novel marketing podcast Thank you for having me, Thomas. I appreciate it. Uh, I have some exciting news. Uh, baby number two is here. Uh, finally, Thomas Gregory Umstead III was born December 29th uh, and weighed eight pounds, 14 ounces. And both he and mom are doing well, or as well as can be expected. And uh, everyone is home, which I'm very thankful for. Uh, with the first one, we were in the NICU and we were afraid that was going to happen again. And it did not. So we're very thankful uh, for that. Uh, He was born on the fifth day of Christmas, uh, which is five golden rings in the song. So my nickname for him, at least so far, is Thomas Aurelius Gregorius III. Uh, Hopefully that's a long enough name to take him places, if this were ancient Rome, uh, that is. Uh, But uh, right now he's waking up every two hours, uh, so bear with me if I'm a bit of a zombie. And if you're waiting on uh, emails uh, from me, I'm still not back. (laughs) So uh, my wife can't pick up our toddler, and so I'm pretty busy uh, doing childcare right now. Uh, the doctor won't let my wife uh, do much childcare other than taking care of baby two, otherwise known as TG3 or Thomas Aurelius Gregorius III. It's just fun to say. I doubt that nickname is going to stick, though. It lacks the uh, modern sensibility of being short. So we're going to just call him Tommy. <laughs> anyway, speaking of keeping things short, you have been listening to Thomas Umstead Jr. and Brian Cohen on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.